This is the Heal from Trauma-Bonded Relationships with me, Dr. Sarah, empowering you to heal from painful relationships to rediscover your self-worth and confidence because you are ready to be the best version of yourself. Hello friends, today we are going to be talking about the issue of infidelity if it has been an experience in your relationship, either current relationship or past relationships. And the reason why I'm talking about this today is because it's something that comes up so, so often. And particularly it comes up where couples may appear perfect on the surface, that they have got everything going on, that they've got good friends, they've got a family, they've got the house, they've got shared property or shared finances, they, they, they do everything together, but actually underneath the surface, they are really, really struggling. And the issue of cheating, infidelity, being unfaithful comes up. And sometimes this can come up in different ways. So it could either be a one-off instance, or it could be a repeated instance, and there's actually a full-on affair relationship that's been developed. So I'm going to be talking about the issue of infidelity and also how is it that you protect yourself and how is it that you come on the other side of this. And just FYI, this is not me at all saying that you should absolutely leave or that you should absolutely work on it. I'm not saying that there is the perfect solution one or the other and that you have to, you're forced to do one thing or the other. But I'm going to be talking to you through a few different things that you can try out to support yourself, to support your own well-being, and if you choose to make that relationship work and how you would go about it. So just before we begin, I also invite you to take part in a questionnaire that I've developed. It's a relationship trap questionnaire, and it really helps you to identify your own relationship patterns so difficult patterns, toxic patterns that you might find yourself in, including self-sabotaging behaviours and other relational patterns that might come up in terms of worthlessness, criticism, abandonment, reasons why you might be anxious. If you are interested, feel free to download it off my website. It's totally free. It is on healtraumabonding.com forward slash relationship dash trap. So I'm also going to leave a link in the show notes below in case if you're interested in getting a hold of that. But for now, let's begin. So when it comes to the issue of infidelity, I really want to just share a bit of a disclaimer, a bit of a warning message here, is that it can be really painful and it can be incredibly sensitive. And we're talking about something that really taps deep into our biggest and deepest wounds And so please look after yourself whilst you're listening to this. If you are wanting to hit pause, if you're wanting to take a break, if you're wanting to not listen to this, that's totally fine as well. But, uh, you know, one thing that I would say is please just do look after yourself. But I'm here simply to share valuable information in the hope that it would support you in terms of your growth and your well-being. Often, the biggest thing that comes up is I couldn't satisfy my partner. 
a lot of people come up with this concept of this notion that the reason why my partner cheated on me is because I wasn't good enough, because I couldn't fulfill their needs, because they wanted something else, they wanted something better. And so it might be that they wanted someone more attractive physically, they wanted someone who had more money, they wanted someone who had more stability, who had a different lifestyle, who had X, Y, and Z, the list goes on and on. But ultimately, the main understanding, the main story that we end up telling ourselves if we're on the receiving end of our partner cheating on us, we tell ourselves the story that we're not good enough. And so we're flawed in some way that's allowed this person to hurt us in this way, that's allowed this person to go ahead and be unfaithful and betray us in one way or another. And so we end up getting really entangled in this story of I'm not good enough, I'm not attractive enough, I'm not a 20 year old, I'm actually in my 40s. And, you know, we end up conceptualizing this as being something bad about us. The issue with this, well, there are multiple issues with this, but one of the main factors is that it is never really about your worth. And I really want to set this straight. The reason why people commit infidelity, the reason why people betray their partners, the reason why cheating happens is absolutely not because you're not good enough. It's absolutely nothing to do with your worth. But here's the truth. It is to do with the fact that there's a problem between you both. And this is something that often takes people a bit of time to get their head around because they spend so much time in the state of self-blame. And let's say if you've been in a relationship with somebody who has narcissistic tendencies or even Machiavellianism or psychopathy or potentially levels of sadism, if, if you've been in a relationship with somebody like that, you're likely to have a background of criticism about you towards you from that partner anyway. You're likely to have had experiences where they've made you feel inadequate, that you're not good enough, that you've not hit the mark, that you've not met met their expectations, you've not done well enough by their standards, and you're constantly chasing this good enough goal. And so it makes sense that you are likely to make an interpretation along those lines if they go ahead and if they betray you, if they cheat on you, if they sleep with somebody else or or have a full-on affair with somebody else. It makes sense why you would then therefore interpret, it's because I'm not good enough. And you've told me all along that I'm not good enough and here we go, here's the evidence that I'm not good enough. The narrative around that is that the brain has this skill of identifying a thought, identifying a belief, and reinforcing those thoughts and beliefs through whatever means it needs to. And so there are certain neural pathways that are created, and these neural pathways are heavily imprinted and they're constantly repeated on loop. And so what happens is that the more that these pathways are imprinted, the more that we start to believe them, but the more that the brain also starts to do stuff to make sure that this neural pathway is preserved. So what I mean by that is that if you've had experiences historically, either through childhood, adolescence, early adulthood, in the adulthood relationship, and those experiences have left you feeling like you are not good enough, it's made you question your worth, those neural pathways are going to be imprinted, 
But what's also going to happen is that we are more likely to interpret certain events to marry up with that neural pathway. And so we end up automatically taking evidence of somebody hurting us as, oh, well, of course they hurt us because we're not good enough because that's evidence. So the way that the brain works anyway, just from a neurological perspective, is that it creates and it it absorbs this information that we witness in real life. And it uses this information to say, hey, look, here's the evidence. This is the evidence. I'm clearly not enough. And so we get entangled in this belief system of I'm not enough. My partner has cheated on me they're having an affair with somebody else and so therefore clearly I'm not enough and and so we end up getting trapped in the cycle but if I was to take a step back and if I asked you something like okay let's say this happened to your friend to one of your dearest friends and they caught you up they were really upset and they said I just found out my partner cheated on me would you then blame your friend and say to your friend oh well it's because you're not good enough No, you wouldn't, right? You would actually say that behavior is not okay. You would say that behavior is inappropriate. That behavior is a behavior of betrayal. It is breaking your trust. It is unfaithful. That behavior is just simply not okay. Okay, there's there's no two ways about it. You wouldn't necessarily go into this uh, blaming and criticism narrative to your friend saying, hey, it's because you're not good enough. It just wouldn't occur right? And, and and that's because you can see it from an objective perspective. But guess what? For your friend who's experiencing this, I bet you your friend is going to say, it's because I'm not good enough. It's because I'm worthless. It's because I couldn't satisfy my partner because I couldn't fulfill their needs. And just as an addition to this, I think something that's really unhealthy in society and, and background narratives, the messages that we have is that that is used as one of the reasons as to why somebody may cheat. So one of the reasons is, well, because they've got an unfulfilled need in the relationship. And I think this is a really dangerous message actually to be sharing with people because ultimately it gets interpreted as I need to fulfill my partner's needs, whereas that's not the case. That's not true. When we're talking about needs of people, of ourselves, our partner, when we're talking about needs, the need really comes from within and it needs to be regulated from within because it is not viable. It is absolutely not sustainable for us to constantly rely on somebody else to fulfill our needs. Actually, that's a recipe for a toxic relationship because let's say if I am constantly reliant on my partner to reassure me, how healthy is that? I'm constantly going to be begging for reassurance and my partner might give it to me, they might not give it to me, but even if they did give it to me, I might not be convinced. And so I'm kind of on this, uh, I'm on this downward spiral uh, with regards to reassurance, but it's also the same in terms of, let's say, sexual satisfaction. If I am obliged to constantly fulfill my partner's needs around that and their needs are constantly there, then I can do as much as I want, but there's always going to be the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. And and I might not be able to marry up to that. I might not be able to match up to that. And so this idea of my partner cheated on me because I wasn't able to fill their needs. 
or the reason why people cheat is because their needs are unfulfilled, that can actually be a really toxic narrative because it's almost giving a permission slip inadvertently. It gives a permission slip to say, well, it's okay that you cheated then. Or, you know, it makes sense. It's understandable why you would have cheated. It's because you didn't get enough sex at home. Like you didn't have your needs met. You weren't listened to enough. You weren't X, Y, and Z at home. Whereas this isn't really the case. What What's actually happening is that, sure, you have needs, but there's but there's an issue between what is happening for you and what is happening for your partner. There is a void between you two and there's a disconnect between you two. And that is the issue. Because, uh, you know, let, I'm, I'm going to go for an example just to make this a bit more concrete. So let's say when we're talking about sexual satisfaction, right? And so you might have somebody, you might have a partner who is, let's say, on an eight out of 10 in terms of their sexual activity desire. And then you might have a partner who, or they're with somebody who might be lower down the scale. They might be a four, let's say four out of 10. Okay. And so as you can see, those two have a big difference in terms of their scale. And so what this actually means is not that the person who's at a four needs to bump themselves up to an eight. And it's not to say that the person who's an eight needs to bump themselves down to a four. That's not at all what it is, but it's actually to do with the void between those two and how they're going to bridge the gap. And so the idea of bridging the gap is really about connecting and is really about considering, well, I'm frustrated, you're frustrated, I feel like I can't satisfy you, I feel like I am putting too much pressure on you, what is happening between us, and is this something that we can resolve? Is there a potential for something to be a little bit more exciting for you? Is there something to be a little bit more slow-paced for you? What is going on here? And so, you know, I'm using sexual satisfaction activity as, as an example here, but the, but the reality is that the relationship actually encompasses so many different factors, right? So we're not simply talking about one of these measures, but we're talking about so many different things. So we're talking about emotional connection. We're talking about physical connection. We're talking about trust. We're talking about reliability. We're talking about respect. We're talking about a whole heap of things. And so when somebody is unfaithful to their partner, it is because there is a problem between you and that person. There is a there is a problem in the dynamic of the relationship as a whole. And it could most likely, I would say probably about 95% of the time, the dy- the problem would span across all aspects of the relationship. So there's there's an issue around the dynamic and typically it's an issue around the connection and that there's a sense of disconnect. And so you might end up with a few different things going on here. So you might be disconnected because actually you're in your 40s, you're in your 50s, you spent decades looking after the kids, looking after the house, creating a business, working, sorting out your finances, doing all the rest of it. You might have spent so many years focusing so much on that other stuff that you almost forgot about your partner. You almost forgot about the relationship or what that looked like or what that meant. And so all of a sudden when the kids have left the nest and you're looking at your partner and you're thinking, oh, okay, what is this about? I don't even know this person anymore. It's almost like I've got a housemate here. And so that in itself can be really difficult to deal with because you're suddenly faced with something that you for such a long time were able to ignore or or turned a blind eye to that that was that that was avoided 
similarly, if you're, let's say, um, in a in a new relationship and things might be going really well to begin with, but then all of a sudden there are cracks that start to develop and they might develop quite early on. And even though the relationship was so intense and it felt so loving and so passionate and all the rest of it, but then you, you get these messages of criticism and neglect and this hot and cold vibe where you don't really know where you stand with your partner and then you suddenly see them with somebody else or or you get the sense that they have been unfaithful then that really causes a huge rupture because you don't know what to do how to deal with that but also what in that in the second example that I gave what that really demonstrates is that there's an issue in terms of the dynamic and chances are it's an empath who has attracted or gets attached to someone with more narcissistic tendencies and so what happens and I've spoken about this previously in in some of my episodes is that when an empath gets attracted to a narcissist and, and vice versa is that the person who is higher up on the empathy scale, they are already uh, much more forgiving and they are already much more willing to tolerate uncomfortable behaviours or inappropriate behaviours from their partner. So they're more likely to tolerate things like, oh, if their partner speaks to other people, um, if their partner is flirting with other people, if they go on nights out with other people, like, you know, they're, they're, they're kind of, they're much more likely to um, give a permission around this. They might not feel comfortable about it, but, you know, they kind of excuse it in some way or another. But also people who are high on the empathy scale can also be people who are more willing to accept that narrative of I'm not fulfilling my partner's needs because they're so concerned about their partner and what their partner needs because guess what they're an empath that they then think okay well I'm not fulfilling my partner's needs so if they need to get it somewhere else then I suppose that would have to be okay because I'm not gonna ruin my partner's life like I'm not gonna get in the way of what they need I don't want to be the person blamed for this and so it's almost like there's this skewing of their own reality and and what's actually going on and almost and a huge compromise in terms of their personal values in order to enable this the, this behavior but also for the narcissist or person with more narcissistic tendencies is that for them they have got the endless need please note the word endless, but this endless need for attention, for admiration. And it might not come up like that straight off the bat. It might not appear like that on on the surface level, but underneath the core, if if you really, really dig down. And I I mean, I've worked with hundreds of people with uh, with narcissistic tendencies. And, you know, as much as it might, it is really difficult to be on the receiving end of that. If you really drill down, they have a huge, huge level of insecurity in terms of their worth and they only ever feel validated through attention and admiration. And so in that instance, they're constantly seeking out attention and admiration. And so how much can you really fulfill that need? Because even if you gave it to them, it gets it gives them a dopamine hit, they get to a point, but then they start to de- decline again because it's like, well, you know, you've paid enough attention to me, but it's not as exciting as it used to be. So I need to get that excitement from somewhere else and then somewhere else and somewhere else and somewhere else. And, you know, it, we just end up in this in this really uh, toxic place. <laughs> and so where do we go from here, right? 
how do you respond to this? How do you heal from something like this? Because it is really hurtful. It's really damaging. And it causes a lot of questions about ourselves, about our worth, how good enough we are, if we're okay as a human being, if we could ever be loved as a human being, if we're flawed. It brings up so many different things. And so here are five main steps that I want to talk about. And please feel free to reach out to me if, if you want to, uh, I guess, find out more about any of these in a bit more detail. But, but you know, here's an overview of five main steps in terms of how you go about it. The first one is, I really want you to consider this question. What is my stuff versus what is their stuff? And this is something that I see people getting confused all the time. So uh, what this question really relates to is we really need to be very good at deciphering what are my personal pain points versus what did that other person do? And recognising that the other person's behaviours are not a reflection of my worth or what is happening for me. So for example, Uh, I'm just going to go really simple here. If somebody cheats on you, that's on them. You didn't, you know, you didn't get a gun and force it to their head and say, hey, you need to sleep with somebody else. Like that, that never happened, right? If they went ahead and did that, if they betrayed your trust, that's on them. That's their action. That's their choice. That's something that they did, that they took upon themselves. And that's their stuff. That's not your stuff. It's hurtful. It's hurtful because it betrayed your trust. It's hurtful because it tapped into your insecurity. It's hurtful because it's created this issue around, am I good enough? Am I worthy? Uh, Which is probably actually exacerbating the question of how good enough am I to begin with? But then that's the difference, right? So what they did is their stuff. You cannot take responsibility for their stuff because their stuff is their stuff. And actually they should be the one taking responsibility for that. So if they're betraying, if they are causing harm, if they are doing whatever it is that they're doing, that is their stuff. That is not a reflection of you and that's not your responsibility to take on board. So I really want you to get that clear. And so really recognizing what is your stuff then? So your stuff would be, how is it that you feel about yourself? What's actually going on inside of you? What pain point did this evoke? And, you know, the biggest pain point that I see is it evokes this question of, I'm not worthy, I'm not good enough. And so if that's the case, I want you to move on to step two, uh, my five steps, is really focusing in on your worth and your enoughness. Now, a lot of people get hooked up and and really caught up with this idea of I'm not enough, I am enough. I'm not enough, I am enough. And so we end up actually in a bit of a hamster wheel. So as much as this concept of I am worthy sounds nice and, and it's definitely better than I'm not worthy. Of course, it's better than I'm not worthy. But the problem with this idea of I am worthy is that it still invites, very subtly, but it still invites this question of I am not worthy right? Because if I am worthy, then there has to have been a stage of me not being worthy. And so we're we're back in that dilemma again, questioning our worth. And so, uh, you know, when we're talking about our worth, it's never contingent upon something. And so this is something to watch out for, because often people say, well, 
I'm, I'm good enough if I lose this weight. I'm good enough if I look this particular way. I'm good enough if I earn this amount of money. I'm good enough if I am uh, this intelligent. I'm good enough if, if, if. And so we're constantly on this hamster wheel trying to meet these targets, which are external. But when we hit them, we still don't feel enough. We still don't feel like we're enough. And so with this concept of enoughness, it's really about getting inward and it's really about the art of acceptance and the art of acceptance is recognizing all parts of ourselves the stuff that we like the stuff that we're uncomfortable with but also really knowing the truth and the truth being your intention your deeper intention in this world your deeper intention in this relationship and so your deeper intention may have been something like I just want to be loved and I just wanted to love. And I'd ask you, is that okay? Like, is that intention of you wanting to love and be loved, is that okay? And if it is, then of course you're beyond enoughness. Like enoughness is never a question. For the fact that you exist, you are automatically more than enough. For the fact that you exist, that you were born, you know, you never questioned your worth when you were born and you would never question the worth of a baby when it's born, that actually it just is what it is. You wouldn't question the worth of your friend. You wouldn't say, hey, my friend is worth 500,000, a million pounds, 10 million. Like you, you would, you would never, you would never put a price tag on somebody. And, and it's the same with, with yourself. Number three, I want you to ask yourself this question around trust. And when uh, cheating, when unfaithful behaviours occur, there is a huge issue around trust and, and trust is broken and it really does need to be rebuilt from the foundation. When we are rebuilding trust, I'm not talking about monitoring the person's every action because the reality is, is that if you're doing that, there is not going to be the ability of building trust. Trust is actually about having faith in the unknown. This is extremely difficult, particularly after the events, particularly after finding out, especially when it's early on, because you are in a state of desperation, you're in a state of uncertainty, you're in a state of fight or flight, and so you're just constantly trying to find out the answers. And so to have faith in the unknown, i.e. building trust, that in itself can be really difficult. And so when we're talking about this process of building trust, I'm talking, we need to go foundation because we're not starting off at the point of where you were before the event. You're actually starting off even underground level before you guys had ever met, before the relationship had ever existed. You're, you're starting to build trust from that level. And so it's really considering what is needed considering you cannot constantly monitor this person and that that's not a healthy way of moving forward, but it's really asking yourself what is needed in terms of the actions I have from this person for me to start allowing the trust to build. And trust can't be forced and it can't be uh, too fast either. And so with the trust, I would almost start off with a locus. So being right in the center and, and I'd imagine like a zone of what feels safe to trust. So, you know, a zone that might feel safe to trust is, well, I trust my partner making me a meal. 
but I don't trust them being on the phone at three in the morning. All right, so that might be like the zone of trust. And so as time goes on, you slowly, slowly expand that zone. So, you know, after a little while, it might be okay. Well, I trust you being out with this person at this date that you'll be home at this time. And when they actually affirm all of these things, you know, the things that you're worried about, when they actually abide to it and, and you can see it. And by the way, it's more for you to observe their behaviors as opposed to you demanding them to do something. Uh, because if you're demanding them, then again, that in itself shows that there's going to be insecurity and there's going to be cracks and fractures later on down the line. But it's more in terms of you considering what is needed, what is your zone of, of trust, how is it you're going to expand, and also how is it that you're going to assess and reassess that. Number four, I want you to ask yourself this question. If I was observing my partner from afar, let's say I was no longer in the picture and I was watching this person, this human being, my partner, if I was watching them on a TV screen and I was observing their behaviors and how they acted with their friends, with their family, with their relationship, like if I just observed what they were doing, is this somebody that I would wanna be with? And that's a big question because that in itself will enable you to consider, well, actually, is this somebody whose values marry up to mine? Is this somebody who I really imagine myself being with and this is somebody who I want to be with? Like, is, is this the case? And then we go on to number five. Number five is around regulating your nervous system. So when something like this happens, you are going to be on high alert. You are going to be in fight or flight mode. You are going to be really anxious, panicked. You're going to feel sick to your stomach. You're not going to be able to sleep. Like a lot of things are going to happen uh, viscerally. And so it's really about trying to calm down your nervous system. So it's really about certain breathing techniques, doing meditation, doing a self body massage. Um, and, and this is really important because even though it might seem like a simple thing and then you'd kind of question, yeah, but it's not gonna get me anywhere. Sure, it's not solving the problem because the problem is really, really big and this is only a small action. However, it does have a profound effect. It has a profound effect in that if you're heightened in terms of your level of distress or discomfort or anxiety or panic, if you're heightened, you're never going to be able to problem solve. The part of the brain that regulates your problem solving skills, that regulates your emotions, that part shuts down. It absolutely, like it's, it's literally closed for business the moment that you are in fight or flight mode. And so you're needing to solve this problem, right? So you're actually needing to open the part of your brain. You're needing to open that up for business. Um, the, the problem solving part and the emotional regulation part so that you can actually solve this problem, so that you can actually move forward. And so the only way that you're ever going to be able to move forward is by first regulating that body. And so, you know, one quick technique that I would talk you through is if you um, do a breathing technique. And so I want you to time this, repeat, uh, you know, you can repeat this technique over a minute and a half, so 90 seconds. And the technique is that you breathe in for four beats, and you breathe out for seven beats. Now, if you've got a physical health condition, if you've been advised by a physician to not do something like this, that's absolutely fine, please don't. Uh, there are other things that you could do. 
like an ice bath technique or um or you could do a body massage like i said but if you can that would be the quickest way of regulating yourself so with this in mind i would absolutely love to hear your thoughts and i would absolutely love to invite you to a free five-day workshop that i will be hosting at the start of february and so if you're interested please reach out to me. I'm going to leave my contact details in the show notes below. If you like this show, please do me three favors. First, share it with your friends and family, because if you found this helpful, chances are they will find it helpful too. Second, please subscribe so that you never get to miss any episodes. And third, please rate the show so other people can find life-changing information I'm on a mission to support as many people as possible with issues around toxic and trauma bonded relationships. So please help me in that mission.